0: Today's guest, Heather Bill Murphy, is a naturopath and as for most of us who are in the service industry, we, what we do comes from a direct result of the different challenges we've overcome and the challenges for Heather was very much around gut health from pretty much from the moment she was born, the challenges she had with that, how she overcame them and then how the pattern repeated as an adult and presented her with a whole lot more challenges, which she was not only able to overcome, but learn more about herself, learn more about the physical body, and how powerful the body is at recovery. If you've had chronic health conditions, particularly around gut health, you're going to get so much value, so much knowledge, and so much wisdom out of this chat with Heather Bell Murphy. Hey, everyone, welcome this week's guest. Guest, I'm going to start that again. <laughs> Wow.
1: Know, you go for it. It's cool. start again. Yeah. Bloopers. I'm going to create Make a the blooper, reel.
0: blooper reel. Blooper uh, reel. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's guest, Heather Bell Murphy. How are you, Heather? Great. Just and
1: great. You. We're already <laughs> laughing, we're yeah. already making each other laugh.
0: <laughs> Stuffed up the intro. What, uh, way start, what
1: yeah. a way to start the morning, Ian.
0: Absolutely. And you're very good because you've just had a holiday, which is very important. And I'm sure as a, a naturopath, making sure people are getting that balance is uh, part of what you help people with, right?
1: Indeed. Absolutely. <laughs> Very
0: good. Very you know good. know so, We know
1: it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, just before we jump on, as I always do, just getting some context, and there's been a lot going on in your life, but it's <laughs> probably started from day dot, and some of this you didn't know at the time, but basically you said for the first 13 years of your life with horrific gut issues... So, indeed. Yeah. Yes. So, so was that, did that mean from your earliest memory, you were in and out of hospital, doctors, different sort of treatment? What's your memory of that time?
1: Uh, my earliest memory is just putting up with incredible pain on a very, yeah. very regular basis. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, so I, my mother actually suspected that I had a duodenal ulcer because she had a duodenal ulcer. She was going through the loss of her mother to cancer um in a relatively short period after I was born. And so she knew she was her mother was going on a cancer journey. So that wasn't great. I was otherwise I was very blessed. Mum and dad loved each other. Mum and dad's still going.
0: Dad's ninety seven. Wow. 97. wow. Scottish
1: genes, hey? Eh? Mum and Dad's yeah. going. And um, he's fit as a trout, which is great, and you know, l- reasonably looking after themselves. So happy family. I was a spoilt baby of three kids. Mum and dad had had a bit bumpy comings as immigrants to Australia after after World War um, <clears> Two. <throat> when they met, luckily enough, they met in Melbourne. So, like, that family background from that idea was okay. Dad ended up without education at the time needed but got a good job so, that, so you know, things like money, stability, mum and dad loving each other was reasonable. Mum's mum died of, died of breast cancer, which I mentioned, which is a bit of a theme that I tend to work through women with now and going through those themes about femininity, loving ourselves, all those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So I was going through this bumpy journey of being sick all the time. Mum had said to the doctor early on, to our family doctor early on, I think this baby may be sensitive to cow's milk, and of course that was impossible in those days. you couldn't be allergic to cow's milk or sensitive to cow's milk. So I was continuing on gluten and dairy and I really shouldn't have been. So that was further... Messing up the picture of making it really murky about what I could be sensitive to. Yep. Um, and you know, so in excruciating pain, living on my lanter and aspirin as a child to get through pain. Not helping that I had become. So this is this is another little little uh, you know twist on the branch there, Anne, yeah. where because we'd gone to church and we were we'd gone to a baptist church there wasn't a, we couldn't find a church of england church which, which is what mum and dad identified with at the time so we went yeah. to a baptist church and of course going to sunday school and taking on those learnings i interpreted it as well if you're good then christian god rewards you for being good so therefore because i had this unexplained thing therefore i must be inherently bad Oh, and that, wow. that JC must have died, you know, you know, and I took on that blame and that guilt about somebody who was died in a grisly manner two thousand years ago that I was responsible for his death. So that so so it was it was pretty busy in there.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Actually, it was quite funny when I trained with the amazing Marissa Peer about uh, five years ago. Now she was talking about. The four roles that kids play in the family, you know, where you've got the brilliant one, you've got the caring one, you've got the sick one, and you've got the bellies one. And I was all four of them. I was, yeah. my mother had a big breakdown when I was five. So that was another little twist on the branch. And she did, mum just went to bed for a couple of years and took, took antidepressants. So I became the parent protective child
0: at five. And
1: <clears throat> I was, I was, I was definitely. I was definitely mum's mini-me, Yeah, you know, I was mini-mum. So I was the mini-me. So I was the one that was looking after mummy, trying to cheer mummy up from the age of five. So there's that was another little twist. And um, and uh, finally had a barium. Finally, mum demanded that we see a specialist. So I had a barium X-ray when I was 13. And the specialist said, you know, wow, you've got a duodenal ulcer. So then at the time, I just took this pretty toxic medication and, um, which, which dealt with the ulcer, which is great. And there wasn't, as I was mentioning before, there wasn't the understanding about gut health and the cellular level and how these things and, and uh, you know, how these things like um, opportunistic bacteria take hold and how they colonise and everything else and the implication it can have for the gut. So, of course, you know, you take a big dose of antibiotics. And of course it's disrupting the biome from here right through
0: so the antibiotics shuts down the natural healing system the antibiotics
1: kill all the good guys as well which which another twist i was already compromised in because i had a tricky birth so i was a racist native baby which meant that because because ian you can appreciate this my mother's got Star People's blood. She's A B negative, so now she identifies as I've got. She's I heard. I heard. Mum. Mum's about eighty at the time. It's about five years ago. Saying to my, you know, father who's now ninety-seven. No, you've got the Neanderthal blood, darling. I'm from Star People. <laughs> <Love> <laughs> Is it, it all making sense now, Ian? Right. <laughs> so, so Mum's A B negative. Dad's A positive. Had my sister. Had my brother. He's positive. My sister's O, neutral. My brother's A, positive. I'm B, positive. So mum's maternal antibodies antibodies were triggered to fight positive blood type. So hence I was um, nearly, de- you know, the, the, basically the doctor said, we can't let you go full term because the baby will be dead. Now it's easily taken care of by an injection, like an inoculation early yep. on when there's, when there's risk of rhesus problems. And uh, so you know, I was taken out two weeks early in a humidity crib on my own. In those days, you didn't touch your babies. Back then, it was just mum behind the glass while nurses were bottle feeding me, and she lost her breast milk. You know, as a result of all that, so you know, like we well, you know, it's yeah. complicated.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all, all those important nutrients and all those important things at the start, like connection, all of those and things. The the, yeah, biome, right. the
1: biome being set up. So now they know the baby gets the biome, aside from which I did get the vaginal delivery, birth delivery, which, which babies don't get in cesarean. So they now know. And as well as, you know, in the day it was very much the babies go, quick, clean it up. You sterilise it. Now they, yeah. this is why that's all that's changed. You get, you know, wrapped in a towel and all your bloody bits and, you know, with everything, all the umbilical and the amniotic fluid all gets put on mum and they don't whisk you away to clean it you know unless there's an issue yeah they've got to restart your heart or something or you know you've swallowed amniotic fluid and you know you've breathed in and you know you're not breathing but otherwise it's like there's all the goop and and we'll try and keep the goop as long as because it's all biome
0: wow it's all
1: our garden that gets set up and yeah, that's what okay. babies get through the brother through the breast milk. So that's why they're also realizing, ah, oh, if the baby's ill, well, we can give the mother antibiotics or a particular medication to feed it through the breast milk to the baby so the baby gets a proper infant dose that's been a bit broken down. So Fascinating. all these things are changing as we <laughs> finally embrace this holistic view of things. Mm. It's so beautiful having cell science background. You know, but with the naturopathic treated by natural medicine, treat the cause, not the symptom.
0: Yeah, I love that. So you've got you come from both angles, which I think is uh, very angles. much needed because there are plenty of people going one extreme or the other, and and both maintaining that their way is right. But that's what you describe there. To me, is is the logical way forward. We don't dismiss medicine, but we also mm. don't say, well, the alternative stuff's the way to go. We need to find a way that's going to make it work. So I love that. Can can we come back to, to your journey through that? Mm. So finally at thirteen, your mum says, Okay, enough's enough. But but what was that like for you like in that leading up to thirteen? Did you just end up getting to the point where you just that's <laughs> all you knew so you dealt with it? Or was it like creating like this uh, was it impacting you socially and and confidence wise and all of those different things as well?
1: Because of that whole journey of um Not understanding why I was in terrible pain and because of that Christian upbringing and, you know, mum and the breakdown, like, and everything else. So I just very much went into perfectionism. Yeah. If I'm perfect and I can't be judged, you know, and so, so I was, I was Lisa Simpson. If I got 19 out of 20 on a test, freak out, meltdown. Wow. And if I wasn't immediately incredible at something,
0: forget it don't do (laughs) it
1: they do it yeah Uh, all the anticipatory anxiety yeah and 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 as well of course and this kicked in later so um age of 15 I'd been babysitting for somebody for for a couple of years he was a you know divorced single dad probably mid in his late 30s about that stage and um, I was only seven years older than his daughter, who was seven when I started babysitting, so she was nine. I was 15, and he thought it would be a really great idea when he got home very late from party one night to, to give me a milk and milk and, um, and put a pono on and then tried to get into my pants.
0: Oh, Wow.
1: About, it was about two, he he it was an unu, it was one of those unusual things and you know he was very very late normally it was just like a babysit for a few hours but he'd been to a party and didn't get home till very 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 late like after 1 um and so that went you know as well with a christian upbringing there was just the confusion of someone that you like you know that you trust mm, mm, it mm. wasn't that we he was a friend of the family and we saw him Socially, or anything like that, it was just that you know, he'd advertised for a babysitter and I'd answered the call, and he lived a couple of suburbs away from us. And so,
0: there's a decent level of trust, though, if you've been doing it for a, for a while, you know, right?
1: And yeah, Ian, do you know what it is? It's and this is this is the other problem with my. And look, I just want to say for anyone who listened to this, please don't be insulted by my. My interpretation of how my faith is in my relationship with God now—it was just, you know, obviously the Christian narrative didn't work for me. So the other thing was that having gone into that churchy thing, you know, where everybody appears to be really nice, and I went out there I, when I, when I first when I met my when I first went into and saw a psychologist when I was about thirty, I described myself as I went I was. Because of my nice family, I went out into the world as a soft-boiled egg with my shell taken off,
0: mm. and I was
1: expecting to meet a lot of other soft-boiled eggs, and we could all just be soft. Boiled. And of course, we know it.
0: Life's not like that.
1: Big bad world isn't 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 like that. So, mm. and I still do it now, you know. And I have these conversations with my dad, you know, about trusting people that I shouldn't, or loaning, you know, people money, and you know, you know, all those kinds of things. And then I say to dad. And we both have this. We both have this thing. Like, well, we just. At the end of the day, I've learned my lesson. I will say to somebody, "There you go. There's an amount of money that I can afford to give you, and I'm not expecting you back. If you pay it back, great. And if you don't, that's okay. Rather than giving you the amount of money, say that you've asked me for, um, if I can't, you know, afford to loan that person that money or whatever it is. But so there's been those lessons where I didn't know what it was like for people to shout at each other, you know. Or, <laughs> Or, you know, or steal or, you know, or, or, or not do something that they told you that they were going to do. You know, I was just expecting everything to be like, ah, everybody's trustworthy and everybody's really nice. So, so that was a shattering, you know, I mean, that was that incident. And, and, you know, it's lucky that he didn't actually get into my pants and I wasn't actually raped, which when I'd spoke to about it, when I spoke with therapists about it later and, and, um, counselors you know experienced in that view when I was going through my early 20s they said do you realize you were probably in his probably still a bit of inebriated state not a hive whatever you know you were probably really that close to it and then I think wow you know maybe I wouldn't have made it and perhaps my journey about God putting me here so that I could know what it was like survive it recover from it and then help others
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll say this. Everyone has their own faith. Even the atheists have to put their faith somewhere. And everyone's had their own journey. And even people who have been in Christian faith know that there are certain elements about it that are not ideal, right? So Mm. for the rest of this, you have full permission to not have to preface anything and not have to make excuses because... The listeners to this podcast tend to have been through their own experience. They've had some sort of spiritual experience as a youngster. It didn't necessarily work, and and they're either coming back to a sense of spirituality or they're deep into it and they're looking for more answers. So, they're looking for something uh, else. yeah, and for as, me, as, that was...
1: as you probably know, Ian, as you as you no doubt heard, what is it? Um, what's the old saying? Um, hell is re- religion. What is it? Hell is for people. Religion is for people who don't want to go to hell, and spirituality is for people who've already been there.
0: Yeah, oh, I like that. <laughs> yeah. uh.
1: Religion is for people who don't want to go to hell, and spirituality is for people who've already been there. It's a it's a classic thing that that I've had clients who've been AA, um, you know, members. It, it, it tends to come mm. up in those in the in the twelve mm. step in the various twelve step programs. It's, I think it's a great way of summing it up.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, we won't get into a full uh, religious discussion here, but I have heard people who are quite a decent level in a church community um, tell me that from what they've learned, hell was something that was invented, you know, like halfway mm-hmm. through yeah. the, the last millennia anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, all sorts of depth to it. Uh, completely, uh,
1: completely Greek, Hades. You know, it's just a completely rework of Hades. But anyway, mm-hmm. yes. So, so, so if we...
0: Just bring it back to um, that those early years. You, you talked about your mum's already dealing with stress. This is, this is what I've learned about those early years is that we, we, as children, particularly if we're empaths like yourself, we come in as a an open vessel and we start taking on that role of absorbing people's stuff mm-hmm. from a really young age, like the reoccurring nightmares to have that showed me I was already processing my mum's stress when I was in the womb right all of these different things that happen in those first years and they and they have a way of conditioning us and reaffirming the original wiring which is you're responsible Mm -hmm. for how other people feel and so then that's just even further reaffirmed what you described at five when suddenly you're having to be the Mm mum and now you just mentioned your dad so I imagine there's like if your dad's similarly well if you're having those similar conversations i'm curious to know what what was your dad's role in all that when you were unwell? was he kind of like that
1: oh do you know ian i just i just think of what dad was managing now and i just think no idea like i've no idea dad dad was at the time dad was ibm's best typewriter salesman in australia he would leave for work at about um six thirty in the morning to get into Melbourne City Sturt Street IBM office, you know, by about seven thirty and miss the traffic. We wouldn't see Dad till about six. I just yeah. remember in those days we would have cans of Leg- Legos, spaghetti bolognese, mm. and dad would cook pasta
0: <laughs>
1: while mum was in bed. I just I, I just think now for dad to manage all the stuff and manage, and now I realise, you know, Dad's own anxiety about what he set himself to do, um, you know, you know, being set a quota that because he was the best, you know, it would get his quota would get enlarged every year, and
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: somehow he always managed to pull it, pull it off, and pull it through. And people just really love Dad because he's just, people still do. He's just such a lovely guy. It's like I've yeah. got, I've got the Greek goddess chaos as a mother and I've got you know the living Saint JC is as a, as a dad dad's just beautiful so um you know like so now I just think oh like dad must have been so lonely and you know and it's like on the outside well it's great you know we've got three meals on the table and you know and there's you know and there's a roof overhead and there's that stuff and you know and then there's the usual stuff you know it's like so I was just like I was I was probably the pain in the ass, you know, being the brilliant child and the sport baby. Then there was my brother who was doing, you know, like boy stuff. My brother was going through his stuff. He was, my brother was gay from the outset. So Tim was trying to be straight and be normal. Um, yeah, in a Christian house. And, and, and then my sister's gay and um, so it's like I've got one of each. I had a sister who was always the, um, and of course I'm not stereotyping it, you know, anybody, but my sister was the was the girl that never wanted to wear frocks, you know. Never interested in makeup, you know. Tomboy and wanted to climb trees and buy a surfboard and skateboard and all that kind of stuff, which is great. you know, sand introduced me to skateboarding and stuff. And then I had my brother who was the theatrical, artistic. Let's let's put makeup, you know. Let's let's, let's 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 bury ourselves in the dress ups box for the afternoon and you know put makeup on and put on shows and you know amazing and that has marinated into my brother becoming a world's renowned artist and sculptor so that so he went from you know getting picked on for being gay and you know the irony is here Ian the irony was that Tim had a harem of about 10 girlfriends
0: (laughs) Of course. <laughs> so he would get bashed
1: up by the bullies because, you know, you're going out with Prue and, you know, I want to go out with Prue. So that was the oh, irony that Tim would get beaten up wow. for,
0: being,
1: for being a, and I'm going to, you know, use like the, the poof term. You're getting yeah. bashed up for being a poof which is big, you know, in those days. But it was because everybody was, all the girls wanted to, you know.
0: It's uh, it's what I've learned now around around the whole dynamic. It's non-threatening, right? He's, trust, yeah. he's trusting because he's, showing up differently energetically and physically What's, than all the others. Well,
1: Tim was into the things that, you know, so Tim was into what massively. We were very, very lucky we got spoiled with um, with horse riding and horses and ponies. So, so you know, Tim was into the drawing and, you know, and he was fabulous illustrator, so drawing, you know, all the stuff that you draw at school in his textbooks and things, you know, at the time. And so the girls were very popular with the girls because he was relatable. He didn't, mm. He wasn't interested in the cricket and the footy and at all. So there we are. Okay. So, so it's
0: quite, so, crazy, quite kooky. I'm sure we'll come back to some of that childhood stuff, but I want to push forward. And I'm also going to do this through through this lens, Heather. Mm. You, you are such a amazing advocate for other people. And so even through this, right, you're shining a light on all the other people in your world. So this is your part of the story where I wanted to be very much about you, right? So then so then okay. you've gone through all of this sort of stuff and I imagine you've done a, f- a heap of work on your gut health but then you have a massive in- incident in 1999. So tell us a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So actually, so I, you know, if I may, I'll just frame it a little bit with what happened through my 20s. So. Yeah. I very luckily managed to scrape a pass through HSC. So my, I went from being like in the top, you know, 10% of students in the state to within a couple of years just which further added to that, you know, freak out meltdown about what am I supposed to be and, you know, what's going on. Yep. Very, very lucky, did a couple of pickup courses and got into naturopathy, Got was accepted into naturopathy and then, luckily, because I'd, I'd done dental nursing through high school, so I got into dental therapy college. dropped that out Dropped out of that after a year, but because I'd done that, luckily got then got accepted into this health science degree with a natural therapies um, bent. Through my twenties, so I was practicing as a naturopath from uh, about the age of twenty five, and and remedial massage. Um, but I was very much, and so, and my practice reflected my wounds.
0: Yeah, as, as they do, even as we grow, right, they're still a, a reflection of everything that we've been through, right?
1: Well, so, so this is, this is where I see a lot of wounded healers. So, so Same. Um, now as, as, in, you know, like as in our, as in coaches and hypnotherapists and, you know, we, we've got to tr- still treat the core wound of healing the inner child. So, um, my prank. So who I would see in my practice was women who, women with depression, anxiety, hypervigilance, gut troubles, um, who'd been molested. And, um, and back in the day, I could hold their hand, but pretty much I'd get down in the gutter with them. You know, so they're having a bad feeling and I would feel bad with them because I was still wounded. And, um, and of course, the counselling that I'd received is just conscious mind stuff. It doesn't deal with the, with the survival mind and the survival mind programming at all. Yep. and and of course, and of course, you know, when people talk about managing their depression, and and of course, I'm going to put a codicil on this as well because I don't want to um, offend anybody that's, you know, going through that journey of managing things. But what I tend to see is without talking to the survival mind and finding out what the story is that this childish part of the mind that's running the program the way that it sees it there's a whole lot of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic that go around and people ritualize you know they ritualize their depression they come with all these incredible like I once did of managing and you know it's like I'm going to keep the balls juggling but I've still got the balls because this is fundamentally confused and it's been running maybe a program for forty years or thirty years or whatever when the trauma happened, which might have been D- dad took me out. And, and what's funny is you know because clients have had massive... St- and they, they'll come, they'll they'll bring me up and we'll have our discovery. You know, first session they'll be saying, you know, I was raped or you know this happened or you know whatever it was. And but the story they tell me is ah, oh, when I was six. Dad took me to the beach, and he was supposed to buy me an ice cream, but I did something naughty, and he slapped me on the leg and said, "Get back in the car." And I thought, oh. Dad didn't love me, right? Oh, <laughs> so this is the yeah. irony, right? Hundred percent. That, that thing happened when we we're three. That that mum or mum, did, mum was forgot to pick us up from the gym that day. Oh, that's been my to sit at the gym for two hours. Mum doesn't that's... love me. I'm not important. I'm not good enough. That's or, been my course,
0: experience too.
1: Uh, of course, there is the big stuff, which is you know, like for death, divorce, disease, drugs, a parent is absent. So of course there is that stuff.
0: Yeah, and, and it's not dis- oh. it's not dismissing those big moments. It's not saying no. they're not impactful, but because we're so aware of them, there tends to be more, we, we do, we work through it, we talk about it, we we progress, and it's those little moments that just become so entrenched in those patterns, right?
1: It's understanding the personal meaning. That we assigned to it yeah. when the thing happened, because the trauma isn't what happens to us, it's what happens inside of us. Yep. So what's really interesting, and this is the diff- this is a classic brain sexing, which is what I teach coaches, classic brain sexing between men and women. Because of men being switched onto the survival values, which are like sex, superiority, and safety. So in the case of Mr. Kid, Mr. Six Foot Three Kissy Face, he grew up with, with, with two flaky parents and his mum who pretty much ignored him from the age of five. So he went, oh, how do I get out of here? Middle of nowhere. Both parents are idiots, his terminology. I get four degrees and two masters i have huh. to I'm, a, I'm allowed to stay at home as long as i work part-time and pay board well you you know while you guys just go to the races and fritter your money or well you watch this four degrees and two masters later king of the world but we meet which is which is my other fabulous story that i will have to tell you sometime about how five years and now when i finally meet the neighbor next door and fall crazy in love, and fall in a month later the man yeah. i've been looking for you know 10 years post first <laughs> so guess who's six foot three and when we met still had the abandonment, mother wound intact. This can't last. You're gonna leave me. Not used to a happy, loving no yeah. one's ever loved me before. Mother wound.
0: Yeah. We've sure just
1: and so what's gorgeous talking about the holiday last week. I just I just really thought, oh my abandoned my inner child, wounded child abandonment wound. I can actually finally feel that it's let me, I've realised that I've got me through all this journey through thick and thin.
0: Okay. I'm going to I've got redo- me
1: and he has resolved his mother wound. Huge. Like, just, and you know, this is just going to fire on the whole practice, you know, like coaching practice, you know, to a whole other, now that I finally got there.
0: Whew. Love it. I'm going to redirect you back. Because you managed to get yourself
1: subsection D clause thingy thingy okay. C, yes, exactly.
0: And again, I'll remind you, make it about you. Because yep. at the moment you're still making you're doing a great job of being the advocate. So your journey, how hard that was okay. for you. So yeah? naturally. So that, going through yeah. that, Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: So naturally. So so my practice reflected my wounds, anxiety, depression, hypervigilance. Um, and uh, you know gut gut stuff and psoriasis and you know all that kind of stuff and um and 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 sexual molestation. so so in those days I would get down in as I say now as I explain to clients now because I'm resolved my job is when you're in the gutter that I can hold out my hand to you but I can't pull you out of the gutter because you'll go back in my job is just to be there with you, holding your hand while you get yourself up, and then we can stroll off hand in hand into the sunset together. But if I pull you out of the gutter, or I do your work for you, or I rescue you—which is what I was doing—you know, back in my first ten years of practice—it doesn't work. You're just going to rearrange deck chairs on the Titanic. Women, classically, what I do, what I call the three-set charta.
0: Bring it back to your story. Oh, yeah. You're telling me so, about so, other people, but
1: it is me. But it's me. But this is what this is what I did. It's a three step charcha. So you know, back in the day, being nineties naturopath, head of my waist, crystals, angel cards, oracles, all gorgeous stuff. You know, and having my chakras cleansed and all those things is really fabulous. Probably won't upgrade this. Yeah. So I was very good at doing all the ritualistic stuff. Yeah, yeah. but my core wound. You know, core inner child wound was still intact, and not being enough, still intact. And so, you know, you pay your hundred dollars, and you lay on a beautiful, you know, table, and you have your chakras cleansed, and this lovely music playing, or you have a reiki, and and the healer intuitively intuits, you know, bloody blah, and it's all gorgeous. And then by the time you get home, or or the next afternoon, it's gone. I still hate myself i still feel <laughs> inherently i hate myself i'm inherently full of shame guilt you name it you know did and then well. off to the next off to the next healing thing off to the next intuitive you know
0: i did you a uh, individual podcast on that a few weeks back on exactly that it's you go from one trap of being stuck in the cycle you're in to this new trap of being it's almost addicted to the healing right because yeah, it yeah. feels good but it's not actually creating sustainable change
1: well because the program hasn't been
0: yeah 100%. hasn't
1: been cleared we don't know what the issue is so we don't know you know we don't need to spend three years discussing you know three years yeah. you know so here's my trauma you know and i've been to see the counselor and i've discussed it you know but i still got the you know i've still got the trauma whereas when we properly psychologically reverse the trauma, which is we can go, oh, there's the gas bottle that was full of gas, you know, that was going to trigger and blow. Oh, now it's just that, oh, I nearly got I nearly got raped 40, 40 years ago one night. Oh, I can put that down and go into my beautiful, bright, shiny future now because it's resolved and it's emotionally neutral. So anyway moving right along. Have my finally have my late gap year. Get the round the world trip, nice. plane ticket. Yeah, and we've been we had a few lovely months in Italy. A couple of months in um, month a month in England. Get on the plane to go to Turkey. And I remember the he's 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 passed away now, but I remember the late great astrologer Jonathan Cainer being on London Tele that's that morning talking about the significance of the of the full solar eclipse that was coming up in Istanbul.
0: Hmm.
1: And I bought the Time magazine with the solar eclipse over the blue mosque from the time. And it's like about a day later, massive earthquake, two thirty in the morning. So that was interesting. Uh you know, we tumble out of the apartment like everybody else is just tearing out into the apartments in this downtown little Side lane, Istanbul Street that we we're on, and we were on the Greek side of Istanbul. So there's the Turkish side across the, the Bosphorus Strait yeah. in Turkey. So that's where the um, the epicenter was. So we could hear all this, you know, noise going on, and and they were using the loudspeakers that they would announce the call to prayer in the mornings, as the loudspeakers to generate um you know instructions about the about the earthquake except of course we don't know turkey turkish and um and not compared to going to places like france well, aside from england and, and and a bit like italy not a lot of people spoke great english yep. so it was very very hard to get to know what was going on um, you know middle of the night uh we actually walked around to a hotel where we'd stayed the first night and the hotel porter recognized and welcomed us inside so it all seems a bit surreal now we had a glass of tang
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we're doing glass of tang and then there was a there was a massive like this was a 1960s hotel you know marble marble floors marble 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 massive crystal like five foot chandelier which would start tinkling again and I was just out on that footpath like a dart. Yeah. There were about 240 aftershocks. And we ended up, because we are thinking, where could, like not knowing Istanbul, where can we go? So we ended up going and standing in a tram stop, which was like in the middle of this giant intersection, hoping that if there was another major earthquake, you know, a building wouldn't actually come down. Yeah. And so we stood, somebody passed around a bottle of Uzo and We... You know, smoking and drinking ouzo. You know, and, and a guy came up to us and said, "One earthquake Istanbul, disco Istanbul. Two earthquake Istanbul, no more Istanbul."
0: Huh.
1: That was an interesting night. It was a very interesting night. Next morning, I went and got a phone card. This lovely person gave me his phone card because I needed an Istanbul, you know, phone card to try to ring Melbourne. All the telephone exchange was down so that was a very interesting day finally made our way to the australian consulate and they they took photocopies there was a sign saying we cannot organize hotel transfers for you we cannot organize the accommodation you're welcome to have a bottle of water and a you know and a sit down in the lounge but you know
0: you're That's on it. your own
1: huh. so they photocopied our passports and they said when we get a fine line we'll telex canberra and let yep. them know that you've made contact very luckily about Two hours later, we got the last two seats on Alitalia to fly to. Our um, next port of call was Amsterdam, um, but unfortunately, we'd eaten something dodgy. Waiting to get on the plane, and and it was while I was eating, I was eating a. It was supposed to be some kind of sort of burger thing, but I remember eating it, thinking. I don't know what meat this is. You know, I can't identify that that be a lesson to me. You know, I don't, I'm yeah, not sure, sure what I'm actually... It was just like, you know, you order something off the board, you don't know what it is. And I'm not actually sure, you know, what... It's just like what... It, by that stage, it was like about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We hadn't eaten anything. Yeah. We'd been drinking bottled water. That was fine. Or yeah. soft drinks because you know that, they, you know, that they're safe. But... um um. You know, I remember eating this thing thinking I'm starving and I'm inhaling it, but I don't actually know what I'm eating. And then it was like, you know, a couple of hours later the diarrhea started. It just got worse and worse, worse. Luckily, we both spoke to our parents at um about midnight that night, Amsterdam time. So it was pretty early in the morning or you know, middle of the night or whatever it was. Or, or no, it was probably in the afternoon for Melbourne time. And um Next I went and got some pretty hefty antibiotics but the damage for me was done and whatever it was and it must have been some kind of parasitical thing, um, I would get recurrently sick. I'd go green, white. I'm pretty pale anyway but I'd go green, white for the next couple of years, every every couple of months. Mum would say, you've got that thing again and then for the next week it would be coming out both ends. So, so att- every
0: every couple of months for the next two years yeah was that scary um,
1: um it was pretty uncomfortable and look me not 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 understanding things now because i'd been to the hospital and I had a stool t- sample and it hadn't been conclusive because i'd taken massive loads of garlic and black walnut and and other really strong herbal antiparasitical parasitical things they said it's inconclusive now what they should have done and this is let this be a lesson to anybody who goes swimming in a river in Borneo, you know, and gets sick and any of that kind of stuff. You you get that mosquito bite, you know, that's infected. You come home and you go and see the effect infectious diseases specialist at either Heidelberg or the Alfred, you know. And you get it. You go to somebody. You know, don't go to your local doctor and say go. I don't know. You've go to the get, hospital, yeah, get a referral to spe- an
0: infectious disease. Right. That's
1: what I should have done. So because the hospital was no good and they didn't refer me on anywhere, it was just like, well, I don't know what to do now. And i have spoken to my other naturopathic buddies. And we just didn't have a, a – a we also at that time didn't have much of a sophisticated regimen for, for um, dealing with these – things it was a bit like try this you know take this and and of course even probiotics which I was lacking in probiotics because my biome hadn't been set up from breast milk and from I took a ton of antibiotics when I was a teenager so all you had was inner health you know lactobacillus and you know acidophilus big deal just whatever
0: can I take you back to the, the impact that had for you mentally and emotionally, Heather? Like how, given you've been through a lifetime of this in your teenage years and suddenly you're having this come back and you haven't had it for a while, that, that must have really played on your mind.
1: It was pretty depressing. It was pretty, uh, I, was, I was pretty strung out at the time. And look, also the other big thing, of course, you know, guilt, imposter syndrome, I felt terribly guilty leaving Turkey. I actually came home and I applied for the army.
0: So you because get back.
1: not well it wasn't so much going back to Turkey because I don't think we've got forces stationed in Turkey but it was more so I thought we are and we are so lucky in Australia. You know, we have in in um, The World Health Organisation had warned Turkey you're probably up for your 100-year cycle earthquake. it's going to be a biggie. And, of course, they didn't have any plan. You know, it's like the recent earthquake. People are still just trying to dig relatives out of the rubble, you know, with their hands. And, of course, they had all those buildings that didn't have any Rio, you know, steel in the foundations or, you know, built in to stabilise a building. So, of course, they just, because they're cheaply, you know, built and chucked up. You know, too high, so they rock and fall over. So
0: back to you, so- back to like how that was for you, right? So yes, you thought about the army, but but how how did you, given you've been on this like physical natural uh, journey of health, like I'm I'm curious again for the listeners mm. of how you were able to cope with that part because that's going to be the real gold for them to know. Okay, well I've been through those moments where suddenly that thing that I thought I'd kicked suddenly came back. So what did you learn about? Mental strength about emotional resilience through that time.
1: So yes, I mean it was pretty depressing. You know, it was, it was pretty much like you know to, to go through the, all that gut stuff at the time. I was still being naughty with my diet. I was still, you know, I, I I I would have dairy infrequently. I knew that dairy definitely upset me, but I was still having gluten, and this is the thing about. The murky picture, you know, clear it. You know, it's really nice to go back to the base picture and clear it out. So, because I was having gluten, and that was obviously making giving me issues with bloating and um, bloating and just gut upset generally. So it was still very, it was still a bit murky, and you know, I battled through. It's like, well, I, I suppose the thing was in. My level of pain and my level of gut discomfort and managing things, diarrhea several times a day was just not, was already just a normal feat at that time in my life. It was just a normal feature anyway, you know. It's right. like and and having and and having a certain amount of pain and discomfort. It was just like yeah, well, this is normal, you know. And through all the tests that I'd had done medically, they just don't show up those kind of things. You know, and this is the thing about standard pathology, you know, standard pathology tests, unless you have a pathology, you know, they don't, they don't show things. Mm -hmm. We need to go by symptoms and then go on the map of figuring out what the symptoms are telling us about the gut-brain axis or the gut imbalance, you know, the gut, the gut-brain itself. And of course, and again, Back then they didn't understand that 70% of our nervous system is wired through our gut. That's why we get butterflies in the stomach or butterflies in our heart. Now, that's why we feel our heart is in our chest or, you know, in our throat. It's, yeah. it's all of, of course, that vagus nerve, which, you know, vagus nerve is just all over at the moment. It's yeah. all that vagus nerve stuff that's going on.
0: You mentioned before that mm-hmm. a couple of times and you said you were lucky that you found fell, fell into natural therapies why why do you say that's lucky
1: well we, we we're we were a bit of an odd family of medical misfits anyway and uh so when post um post being molested and triggering anorexia um it also this this is a gift good question ian this is survival mind, protecting us post molestation. um, I, I manifested a thing called scleroderma post being molested and you you won't be able to see it, but I've got some extra melanin like spots that got laid down. There's some here. And my friend who was a psych later said to me, "I he might've held you. There huh. and it manifested on my leg on the thigh that he sat on. So there's the hardening of the tissue. And what's really interesting about, you know, just our in- incredibly being a microcosm within this macrocosm yeah. is that that information gets laid down from the pineal gland. So that really rocked me to the core. So um it took me into, so it's like feeling different again, you know, being, it's like if we go back to the core wounds and how we translate them, you know, by needing to be brilliant, needing to be capable, feeling intrinsically different, not being enough. I forget what the other one is. There's about six of them. I forget what the other two are, one or two are. But so... Safety. Going very back to that core wounding of, and you know, and it's like I'm being punished by you know, divine, you know, by you know, divine. It's divine retribution at play here. Yeah, so it's mm. very, very much feeling like Job.
0: Yeah, right. Um, and then
1: I would flip into my rebel self of, I hate God. I'm going to just drink bourbon and eat pizza, and you know, I'm I'm sick of dealing with all this stuff. So, so, and then I'm gonna flip into being perfect and good and being a naturopath again and being the non-smoking, you
0: know. Perfect, yeah. So it's so it's very much of uh, it's lucky, but it's also a product of of everything you've been through as well. So is the luck then the fact that it's given you all the tools and and skills and wisdom you have now? Is that what is that how you're looking at it when you I say lucky?
1: We, we know it. We know it. Some people choose to go around on the roundabout. You know, they've got their roundabout of depression or, you know, whatever it is, or they've got, you know, here's my trauma and here's my thing, and, and I can own it, you know, and I, identity, and I know right? it. Yeah, it's my, and, and it's my my identity. You know, I've yeah. got to hang on to my identity by being the, the, and, of course, I'm not discounting people who've got disabilities or, you know, or had, you know, ma- ma- but here's my story. Here's my identity. I'm going to hang on to it. I really chose to get on the round of, on the on the roller coaster. Get, you know, one day it's like I'm getting off the roundabout, I'm getting onto the roller coaster. It's like a, it's like I'm gonna learn to ride the dragon in Avatar, you know what I mean? And the issue is of course, is that when the roller coaster is screaming down, it's terrifying. Yeah. You know, and then it, do you know what I mean? It's it's like it's like climbing Everest or climbing hills or whatever it is. You know, you you, you we know this then. You know, you are doing something different and you stuff it up, and you're eating dirt again. <laughs>
0: you know,
1: and you get married and then you get divorced and you know, it's like I say you. I, I say to clients, I use this as the thing. You're 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 in the space where you've come off your roll off your um roll escape, you know, and you're still ouch, smashing the gravel and grazing, you know what I mean? And, you, and you've and you got to go through that. Mm, ouch. Mm, I don't know how to, you know, we've got to hit rock bottom. Yeah. And then some of us either go back to the roundabout, they go back to the old relationship or they go back to it because, because it's not right but it's known and it's safe because it's, the you know, the broken relationship. Uh, or yeah, the wound. So to For me- keep... Striving, and along the way, I knew kids were, having children wasn't a thing for me this lifetime.
0: Sorry, say that again?
1: I knew that having children from an early age, I made that decision about 15.
0: Right. Yeah, got it.
1: Not a thing um, for me this lifetime.
0: Okay. We'll come back to that. Um, to me, what you said there about rock bottom is so true, but... I wonder if how many people have already had their rock bottom but they just need to have well the like you said the pattern keeps repeating right it keeps repeating keeps repeating until they're ready to to acknowledge that well I don't need to go through any more rock bottoms I've already been there and now it's time to change
1: as as one of my as one of my incredible mentors um, the the late incredible Anthony DeMello puts it who, who he's my spiritual master, um, and, I, and it took me years to understand what this meant, and I thought it was very mean. You know, it's like when the Zen master comes up to you and you don't get a cuddle, you get a snake over the top of the head, you don't wake up, and his thing is all about awareness and wake up. So he says neurotic suffering, it's like suffering for the sake of suffering and not getting the wisdom from it. Authentic suffering is like suffering authentically and going, ah, oh, because, you know, it's like, oh, I've been smacking my head against the brick wall. How about I turn this way so I don't smack my head against the brick wall anymore? Now, this is what I explain to clients because because the whole Buddhism, oh, because we're talking about Buddhism, shmuddism.
0: <laughs> oh, right. I
1: can't do that Buddhism, shmuddism.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's
1: thing, yeah. you know you go to the temple. Buddhism was supposed to be the reform branch of Hinduism, which had just gone completely, you know, crazy with, you know, gods. And, and again, you know, I'm going to go and stand Absolutely. on, on like, with my hand up, you know, d- you know, yeah. outside the temple. And, you know, so the same thing, you know, I'm going to go to the temple. Now, Ian, when you go to the temple, you've got to wipe your f- foot left, you know, right, left, and then you've got to ring the bell three times, and then you've got to turn around and Dance and cluck like Biking a chicken. A chicken. <laughs> now, if your imaginary friend, and you've got to pay the priest, that's really important. And now, if your imaginary friend loves the way that you dance, and if you wiped. So you. So what I can see is, and it's a bit the same with um, a lot of the, you know, having your sharpest cleansed and having a Reiki and those things, the rituals become more evolved and this is the problem this is one of my problems with Christianity is the priest is up there doing stuff and aside from the fact that the Christian rites are all at the wrong time of year for us. So they Ooh. don't impact psyche. The priest Ooh. is up there doing things on the altar because he's got the power and the flock's just all sitting there asleep. And there's not the deeper impact of the psyche because, of course, what do we do for our spring ritual because we're celebrating Easter going into winter? Well, everybody goes to the spring racing carnival where the women dress up like flowers and the men are like bees. That's our fertility, right? That's our May Day. That's collective yeah. unconscious. Collective unconscious knows. You know, look at the footy. The, the Colosseum. Collective unconscious knows. So, again... The Christian narrative, which for me is a bit broken anyway, further doesn't serve, you know, and neither does Buddhism. and All these things,
0: because to, to it's
1: all turned into this meaningless ritual and very high
0: yeah, cool.
1: yeah. church. You know, I'm going to put my robes on. I'm going to do this, and it doesn't mean it,
0: it. plays into our uh, human tendency to like patterns and structure. Absolutely. So. Yeah. To me, it's like it's more externalizing. It's like you talked about victimhood before. It's like I'm just going to have this person rescue me, or God's going to rescue me, or and you know, it reminds me of the the. I remember my dad when he when he preached. He was talking about the parable of the man who was who was sitting at his house and the floods came, and he said, "No, that's all right. God will save me." As he knocked back uh, a boat, uh, yeah. a helicopter, yeah. and and he goes up to heaven. God, you didn't save me. He goes, "Well, how many more things do you want me to send you?" And, and it's like we, if we look at life as the feedback instead of needing this external person to tell us all our answers, then we're going to get better results. Mm. Heather, can I come back to another thing you were talking about from your, from your youth? Because uh, yes. I think, I think it, it really demonstrate how much this programming runs, right? You said a couple of times you were the spoiled child. Mm. One, why do you think you were spoiled? And two, why, why is that even a thing?
1: Well, I think. Look, I wasn't really. I can kind of say it a bit a bit flippantly, actually, because we were all very well taken care of. But you know the thing about first child; it's like a bit nuts. Yeah, my brother was definitely like just a complete apple of my dad's eye, and um, but but I was like the mini mum, so I came along at that at that time, and I think being so fiercely intelligent, so this is this is. Another fruit of my childhood, another flower of my childhood. My mum had experienced, and you know, like, this is where it's crazy, where the guilt is, because I was thinking, gosh, compared to my upbringing, compared to what my parents went through. You know, my dad grew up without a father. You know, incredible instability. Mum grew up in London during the Blitz, and oh, the wow. house next door took a direct hit, Oof. and it. They were, they were. My granddad was a. Was a mum's um, father was a nighttime air raid shelter, uh, a, a night raid air warden. So he was away, mm-hmm. while nanny and my mum and her baby brother slept underground in the air raid shelter that he dug. Yeah. So the house got bombed. The floors just flattened. You know the front doors blew out, all the windows were, all that kind of stuff. Mum and, and her brother got billeted out during the war of the country to some horrible woman who was just horrible to them. So incredible. So mum unpacked all of that stuff about Germany, Jewish people, concentration camps. I, I actually grew up thinking I was um, 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 Anne Frank. Actually, a you know, funny thing, funny thing how this stuff gets embedded in our psyche. I actually looked like Anne Frank growing up, little, little plats, little pale face and little plats. When I went to Amsterdam, I'd actually gone on a walk and I came across the street where Anne Frank's house is. And there's a bronze statue of Anne on the corner of the street. And I just wept and wept and wept. And I'd read that I'd read her diary and I read several books about her as well. And I couldn't even, I was so distraught, I couldn't even go down the street to go to where her actual house was. So incredible thing about that story of survival somehow embedded its into my psyche. You know what I mean, and was uh-huh. in, on some kind of level incredibly meaningful to me as a child. And that kind of hiding out and waiting to be found, or I think there was, I think there was a story about me about how, you know, as um, Marianne Williamson writes about hiding the light under a bushel, because mm-hmm. part of that Christian upbringing thing, as well, was holding my brilliance back to. Help my friend, you know, writing, doing my friend's home, doing my best friend's homework for her, and writing essays for her. You know, sitting there during recess and writing off, writing her essay that she hadn't done in ten minutes, all that kind of stuff. Holding myself back because it wasn't good to be seen as, you know, and very much again, very much a, a female golden, you know, value attribute about. Oh, I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to shine. I'm not allowed to. I really. It was a feature of my um, sort of later high school about not wanting to stand out, hmm. and I, I, I'd, I'd gone to the wrong school. Later high school, I changed schools, and I, I definitely went to the wrong high school.
0: That's such a pattern for so many people, right? That not standing out. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a great share. So, do you think the the um, so I know you use it sort of as a, as a bit of a throwaway line. But I just wonder from your parents' perspective and and specifically your mum, whether there was like thinking about her upbringing, just how much she'd had to look after her daughter and not have her to have to go through the the challenges that that we went through does that does that resonate for you do you think
1: well i think I think what it was mum when mum um when mum had her breakdown, I think it was very much she she'd had a hysterectomy to like the end of the three kids uterus wasn't doing too well had you know the women's stuff and of course then mum went into menopause at 36 and it wasn't until I when I turned 36 I was feeling like I'm just in the height of my you know feminine goddess complete double Scorpio tantric you name it gosh if I'd been plunged into menopause I don't think I would have survived I don't I actually now I had a couple of I had a close friend and a distant friend whose mothers suicided when they were teenagers, and now I think, gee, I don't know how Mum didn't. And she was on, she was she was pretty stoned. She was on a lot of Valium, and now I realise it's like, it's like you only realise as you grow older. I was having this discussion with my with my brother recently about how the the cocktails of medication that the doctors put her on, how Mum was, mum, you know, it's like, I knew someone, we, we had a friend of mine, her mother drank heavily. She was like the neighborhood kind of, you know, drunk where you knew, and you know, like we would occasionally go and, you know, if you wanted to go and steal a bit of booze, you know whose house to go we to, and drink booze or it wouldn't be, you know, cause there, was, there were just bottles and bottles of, you know, whiskey in the house. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a funny thing about having the absent parent Mum wasn't a drinker you know and she wasn't a you know a heroin user but she was still absent and this is the funny thing where before I could resolve it you know before I could my aware parent ego could or self could resolve it I felt very much abandoned by mum during you know uh, times in my in my life, and you know, I had two best friends. One mum was a teacher, and one mum ran a boutique, and they were both very highly organised mum. I had the mum, you know, I had the hoarding mum, house in a mess, you know, because of course the mess on the outside mirrors
0: mm-hmm. what's gone inside. Yep.
1: So there were there were loads of great stuff. Don't get me wrong, like incredibly great stuff and we, we, we were incredibly great family unit for you know and then there's things that didn't work yeah, and
0: that's true for, and it's all, for all. you
1: know It's all part of it nobody's got a perfect
0: yeah yeah absolutely but it's
1: so great and I realized what it was and again it's this maturing thing it was my relationship in here that needed to be resolved Actually, if I may, I'll do a little share about how far I've come because I've done things like, and I do this with clients. swelling, I, I teach clients tapping to help access their emotional state. And as I say to them, look, the feeling isn't important. It's just a feeling. It's just a bit of, it's like lint in our midbrain. The important thing is process the bumpy feeling and then take appropriate action. Yeah. And coming from being a classic super saturated in feeling state, which is a, which is a symptom of trauma Yep. where you, you know, just completely and, and being female. So, so this is the thing, you know, you're so lucky you just got testosterone. We not only have progesterone and estrogen and not just once a decade, not just annually, but twice a month, we have this swing of hormones. And oxytocin bonding hormone. So, if you add a fair work of trauma in there, boy, it's confusing in there, really yeah, confusing. You. And women get confused with having a feeling and feeling bad about it as being really meaningful. Or inversely, I've just gone along and I've had my chakras cleansed, you know, and I've had crystals put on me and it felt, and I had a bit of a cry. So, I've got relief now for really nice. for an hour and it's really really mad. and that meant a healing no it's just a feeling state thing
0: hmm. um, it's
1: like, action is that, getting taken
0: there's that word lucky again uh <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> what 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 uh what I'm hearing from all this story is you've been more than lucky you've you've managed to overcome so many different things you've clearly got a huge heart and you just have such a desire to help other people and that's been your journey. If you've been doing it since almost day dot, right? You've been there for those people. So where can people find out more about what you do so that if they're going through any of their physical health issues, particularly the specifics that you talked about then, where can they find you so they can find out more about the work that you do, Heather?
1: Well, I've evolved from just being Heather Bell Murphy now to heal, eat, love, pray. So they can find me at healitlovepray.com. or yeah, I'm actually the only Heather Bell Murphy in the world.
0: That makes it easy.
1: <laughs> which which is enough. I'm sure that I'm, I'm sure that just one of me is enough. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty easy to Google now through Facebook, through you know, reach out through Facebook, through through Insta. I'm not on Insta very often at the moment, but anyway, I'm sure that'll change as I as I get into all this new embracing all this new techie stuff, Anne, which you've done yeah. so well. So yeah, I appreciate. I'm that. sure I'm sure I'm easily found.
0: Awesome. We'll make sure we get your links in the notes there as well so people can find them. Um, Heather, you've shared so much wisdom. Uh, you've certainly taught me a thing or two about how the, the physical side of things made up and and thank you so much for sharing so openly your story and, and all of the that you've overcome. I really appreciate it and I'm sure the listeners will as well. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been so terrific to connect. Well, like virtually, like, you, know, you know what I mean, virtually properly. It's been so lovely after we've been jiving each other with our Facebook you know, comments in yeah. and coaches, and coaches' groups and things. So it's so lovely to have a chat. Yeah, you thanks too. Thanks so much thanks your for thanks
0: You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Grief Code podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please share it with a friend or family member that you know would benefit from hearing it too.